to talk about tonight, it's one of the, the messages that totally changed my thoughts and my life concerning prayer. I did not know this about prayer when I became a Christian, and I just became a Christian when I was in high school. And so um, learning, I knew I loved to pray, but learning about the importance of prayer and the place that God puts on prayer was really powerful to me. So I hope that this is a message that affects you the same way. Well, let's go ahead and pray as we get started. Father, we just thank you for this word that you have for us tonight. We thank you, Father God, that it's powerful. Every time we receive the word, it is so powerful. It's life-changing because the Holy Spirit is on this word. We don't just read the word. The word reads us. It informs us who we are. It tells us what you have made us. It tells us what we have in you. We thank you for this word. It's powerful and it's alive. It's alive with the Holy Spirit. And we pray tonight that as we get into your word, that the Holy Spirit would be present, ministering in this room to every single one of us, that this word would be opened up in our heart, that it would read us, that we would receive what we need tonight to grow because your word is coming to us. And we thank you for this word tonight. We're grateful for it. Our lives are changed by it. And we expect just that tonight, that we'll be changed and we'll grow even more into looking like you because of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So let's see. Um, I'm going to start out with Psalm 63. Go with me over to Psalm 63. You know, I was talking on the phone to Pastor Mark after the... Uh, I got home, I was having lunch, he had just had lunch, and uh, so <laughs> we were talking on the phone, and he said, was asking me the things that I talked about, and I was asking him the things that he talked about, and um, it was really fun, and it was really good. Uh, they had a great service there. He's in Craig, Colorado, in case you were wondering. Uh, the board meeting is always at the front part of the year, and then he usually stays, and then I do this service for us. Um, while he stays there in Craig. So I was sharing with him this scripture and what the Lord was showing me about it. And he said, oh, that's good. I'm going to use that tonight. <laughs> I said, well, I am too. <laughs> so <laughs> it was funny. All right. So anyway, Psalm 63, and it says this, oh God, you are my God. You know, I love that. He's my God. He's not just a God. He's not just one we cry out into tr to in trouble. He's my God. And, you know, we can say that about him. He's my God. That's very personal, right? And then he says, earnestly will I seek you. My inner self thirsts for you. My flesh longs and is faint for you in a dry and weary land where no water is. You know, I love that. And so when I was thinking about prayer, you know, oftentimes it's this way. It is dry sometimes. It's dry when we begin in prayer, when God begins to move people out in that place of prayer, an intercession kind of prayer. It, uh, oftentimes, we're praying about seeing something that we don't yet see. And so it can be dry. But he says this, David says, my soul, my inner self thirsts for you. My flesh longs and is faint for you in a dry and weary land where no water is. So he knows where the answer is. He says, my God, my God, you can change everything. My God, I'm trusting in you. I'm praying to you because I know who you are. And he says this then, so I have looked upon you 
in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. See, his heart was hungry for something deep. It was hungry for God's power and glory. And when he didn't see it, he still longed to see it, and he prayed for it. He sought God for it. And he says, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you, so I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My whole being shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help. In the shadow of your wing, I will rejoice. My whole being follows hard after you and clings closely to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who, and then he goes on, I'm not going to read to the end. So I love that part. He says, God, I'm seeking you. And so, you know, in the other translation, I think it's the New King James that I was reading. He says, early will I seek you. And, you know, there's a reward to seeking him early, early in the things of God, early in the move of God. We know what God wants to do. It's been prophesied. It's been said. But those who seek him early are satisfied by him. And there's something about taking part and starting with him in that early place. You know, the, the parable is that those who came at the beginning of the work day and those who came at the end get the same reward and that's true but there's something about early seeking him and desiring him and contending with him for what he wants to do in the earth there's something about that God loves prayers and he will reward those who pray and so really the kind of praying that we're going to talk about tonight is really the difference between bedtime prayers and end time prayers. <laughs> so we learn about bedtime prayers when we're little, right? And it's God bless mom and God bless dad. And we say these with Matthew, even when we go to bed, uh, I mean, go to his nap. Um, when he's staying with me, we, we say, well, God bless Nana and God bless Papa, God bless Grandma, God bless Grandpa, God bless Mommy, God bless Daddy. And I said, what do you want to say thank you to God for? He says, I want to say thank you to God for the kick drum. I want to say thank you to God for the toms. I want to say thank you to God for the snare. I want to say, see, he, he's got things on his mind, right? And they're all about us usually. They're all about us. But that's bedtime prayers. God wants us to move from bedtime prayers into end time prayers. What are end time prayers? End time prayers are where we have what's on his heart, not just what's on our heart. So we come without an agenda, without a list, without the, the whole, you know, everything that we need to unload. And we come asking, God, what do you want me to pray about? And a really good way to pray end time prayers is to start out praying in the Holy Spirit, <laughs> praying in other tongues, praying out what's in our heart. Because when we pray in the Spirit, we pray out mysteries. So it's a powerful kind of prayer. So why do we need end time prayers? Because God's got great big things on his agenda. He's got big things that he is doing. I want to read to you a word that Smith Wigglesworth uh, gave right before he died. And he said this in 1948 to Lester Summerall in South Bend, Indiana. He said, I see it. And Lester said, what do you see? He said, I see a revival coming to planet Earth as never before. 
There will be untold multitudes who will be saved. And no man will say so many and so many because no man will be able to count those who will come to Jesus Christ. He said, I see it. The dead will be raised, the arthritic healed, cancer will be healed, no disease will be able to stand before God's people, and it will spread all over the world. It will be a worldwide thrust of God's power, a thrust of God's anointing. I will not be able to see it, but you will. So praise God. He, he saw that. So that's not going to be accomplished with bedtime prayers, right? God bless mommy and God bless daddy. No, it's going to take a different kind of praying, a kind of praying where we connect with the Holy Spirit, where we understand what is in God's heart and we bring that out. So go with me over to Genesis. Genesis 1. We're going to go over here to begin. So when we pray, we pray with an authority, and this authority is given to us. Now, we're going to talk tonight about this legal side of prayer. There's a legal side of prayer. So when we pray about things in the earth, we pray from a legal standpoint because everything that God did is legal and does is legal. So we pray so that God's will can happen. Now, John Wesley said this. He said, it seems that God is limited by our prayer life. He can do nothing for mankind unless someone asks him. Well, why is that? Because God instituted a plan in the very beginning in Genesis. This plan was to work together with humankind. And so as he instituted this plan, when things started to go different than he planned in his best plan, then he didn't just say, well, I'm going to take that back. I'm not going to work with you anymore. No, he implemented the next plan. <laughs> And that plan was when man fell to redeem man. So God didn't say, I'm not going to work with you anymore. He said, we're still going to work together, and I'm creating a plan so we can continue to work together. But let's look at this authority issue. So it seems that God can do nothing in the earth. He's limited by our prayer life. He can do nothing for mankind unless someone asks him, why is that? Well, it comes back to Genesis. So Genesis 1.26 is where we're going to start. So here it says in Genesis 1.26, So God said, Let us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image, after our likeness, and let them have complete authority. Complete authority. So God gave his authority to Adam. Adam and Eve, or Adam. He gave his authority to him. And it says, let them have complete authority over what? Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the tame beasts, and over all of the earth. Over everything that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of and likeness of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and subdue it, using all of its vast resources in the service of God and man, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing or creature that moves upon the earth. So God created man, 
and he gave him authority. And in the beginning, God didn't need man. He wanted him. He wanted to have a partner, a family, somebody who would love him and serve him in their, their heart relationship, and there could be a partnership. So here we are in the very beginning of that, and this is how it started. God gave him authority. So now we go over to Genesis 2, 16, and it says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, blessing and calamity, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God said, I'm giving you authority, and now I'm giving you parameters. I'm giving you a place uh, and instructions. You're to tend and to keep everything that I have made. He says, but these are the boundaries that you stay in so that you can walk with me. Well, then we go over to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more subtle and crafty than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, Satan, said to the woman, can it really be that God has said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit from the trees of the garden, except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil, between blessing and calamity. And when the woman saw that the tree was good, suitable, and pleasant for food, and that it was delightful to look at, and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave some also to her husband, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves appropriate girdles. <laughs> Like how the Amplified says that. <laughs> Appropriate girdles. Okay. So then it goes on and it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam said to his wife, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? So we stop this story right here at this point. So Eve wanted to be like God. Satan said, you'll be like God if you eat of this tree. Well, she wanted to be like God, but what she didn't understand was she already was like God. She failed to see that God had made her in his image and in his likeness, and she already was like him. And so she started to listen to the enemy, and he put doubt in her mind, as if God was hiding something from them, as if God was keeping something from them that they could gain if they went against God's word. So now they go against him, they listen to the enemy, they put their faith in him. But God says, to Adam, where are you and who told you that you were naked? This is their first opportunity to take responsibility and maybe even at this point be redeemed. 
But they don't go down that road. They go down the road of the blame game, <laughs> which absolutely never produces anything good. So in this blame game, responsibility was not taken, and the one who did take the responsibility gained the authority. So we read on, and it says this in verse 12. It says, and the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, see, it's going down the line here. What is this you have done? And the woman said, well, it's not my fault. The serpent beguiled, cheated, outwitted, and deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed above all domestic animals and above every wild living thing in the field. Upon your belly you shall go, and you shall eat the dust and what it contains all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise and tread upon your head underfoot, and you will lie in wait and bruise his heel. So the enemy ended up taking responsibility, and there's enmity between the woman and the serpent because God's plan of redemption means that redemption is going to come through the woman, and God prophesies it right here. Well, we understand and we know that, but what is it about authority in this? What does it have to do with prayer? Well, when authority was transferred from God to Adam, Adam had every right to do anything in the earth. But when authority was transferred from Adam to the enemy, well, now the enemy has an element of authority in the earth. And in fact, the Bible calls him the God of this world, small g, God of this world, in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. And it says that he is working at deceiving and keeping people from knowing the knowledge of who God really is. So as he's the God of this world, he's uh, doing his job pretty well. There's a lot of people who don't know who God is. There's a lot of people whose eyes have been blinded. There's a lot of people who don't understand uh, why things are the way they are in this world. Why do bad things happen? Well, it's not because God wants them to happen. It's because there's an enemy in this world. And the enemy, who is the God, small g, of this world, is operating under an authority. Well, that authority was first given to Adam, and it had an expiration date. So the good news is the authority that the enemy has, because he got it from Adam, it has an expiration date too. He won't be able to forever do what he's doing. There is an expiration date on that. But Jesus came. So the plan of redemption was instituted right here. Well, now we go over to Luke, Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, it shows us another aspect. So in Luke chapter 4, verse 5, Satan, who has some authority, and we see it right here, offers this authority to Jesus. Jesus has been baptized. He's uh, gone out into the wilderness, and now he's being tempted of the enemy. And it says this. It says, Then the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms 
of the habitable world in a moment of time, in a twinkling of an eye. And he said to him, to you I will give all of this power and authority. All of this power and authority. Their glory, all the magnificence, excellence, preeminence, dignity, and grace. For it has been turned over to me, and I can give it to whoever I will. Therefore, if you will do homage and worship me just once, it shall all be yours. Well, the enemy, he wanted Jesus to try and take authority at this point because it wouldn't have been an eternal authority. He could have taken authority at this point if he only wanted it for himself. But Jesus didn't want authority for himself. He wanted it for all of us. And so Jesus fulfilled the plan of God. He went all the way to the cross so that he could take that authority back legally. When he took that authority back, it wasn't just for a moment. See, the enemy had some authority, and he could have given it to Jesus if Jesus would have worshipped him. And, and really, it would have been legal. It would have been uh, done on a legal basis. But Jesus understood something greater. Not just did I come for the authority you have, I came to get back authority for every one of God's children. So God gave authority to Adam as a gift. Gifts can be kept, they can be treasured, they can be used, or they can be given away. Adam ended up relinquishing his gift to the enemy. And now Adam gave away authority without even knowing how valuable it was. Well, we understand as we look around how valuable that was. The enemy's able to do a lot of things with that authority. Jesus could have taken it back right here, but Jesus didn't do that. He came for us, and he had us on his mind. So Jesus went all the way to the cross, and he instituted a brand new system right in the middle of the old system, an in-him system. So Jesus gave us the authority when we received him as Lord, he came on the inside of us. And now we have that authority and we have it in him. Now, I like how Pastor Mark Brzee talks about this in his book. He has a book called Processing the Plan of God Through Prayer. And he talks about this transfer of authority being like a house analogy. And this makes a lot of sense to me. So if you have a house, you have an owner of the house. And we could say that this uh, house or this earth, the owner is God, right? But God leased the house to Adam. Adam subleased the house unknowing of what he was doing to the enemy. But there's a lease that's running out. <laughs> and so for God to do anything in the earth, uh, when we say it seems that God can do nothing for mankind except for that someone ask him, well, it's absolutely true. Because the enemy is operating under that, that uh, analogy of the house. So let's just say this scenario. It's my house. I'm subleasing it to someone else, and I want to go make improvements or repairs on the house. Can I just go in and do that? Not really. Even though it's my house? Why? Talk louder. <laughs> what? It's occupied. There's a resident in that house. I've subleased the house. So you mean I can't even go into my house? They have authority in my house? Yeah, that's how it works. So now 
let's say the earth is the house and God wants to do something. How does God move in the house? Well, when we're looking at earth, it has to be through a legal residence. There are legal residents of earth, and guess what? The enemy is one of them. <laughs> and he's not going to invite God to come in and do anything. But we're legal residents of earth. We are legal residents of earth. So there's humans who are put here by God, and there's Satan, who is the God of this world, whose lease is running out. Now, if God wants to do something in the earth, he has to have some, one of these two parties invite him in to do it. You know, we rented a house from our congressman, and um, it was a house on Grand Avenue, beautiful house, but he would call me on the phone. You know, in the natural, I would look at him and I would say, he carries an authority because he's my congressman, and yet he has to call me and say, can I come and fertilize the lawn? <laughs> I'm like, wow, of course you can. Why? Because he wanted to make improvements on his house. He would have to call me. But you know what? He couldn't come in and say, I want to use your blender, or it's my house, I want to come in, and, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to go all the way to Grand Junction, so I'm just going to sleep there tonight. No, he couldn't do that because we were the residents. We were the ones that had authority. So when we look at God and we look at this analogy, we have to give him an invitation to move in the earth, and that's what prayer is. Prayer is an invitation. It's asking God to come and do what he wants to do. And that's why it's important that we understand and know what he wants to do. Where our heart is connected with his heart. So God doesn't just do things on a power basis. And when we look at God and what he's not doing, we just think that. God's God. Why doesn't God just move? Why doesn't he just do something? Why doesn't he just, you know, fix that situation? Why doesn't he just take care of that famine? Why doesn't he just heal those people? Because he's not, he's bound to his word and the program that he put in place. He didn't just take it back. So now we are the ones that give him that invitation to come in. Now how important is prayer? Well, prayer is really important because anything that God wants to do, he's got to have somebody on board with him asking him for his will. And that is us. So go with me over to Revelation 5.8. So Revelation 5.8 says this. It says, And when he had taken the scroll, the book, the four living creatures, and the twelve, 24 elders of the heavenly Sanhedrin prostrated, prostrated, I always say the wrong word. <laughs> one is a body part and one is laying down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he prostrated, pro I'm going to do it again. Prostrated himself, <laughs> themselves, uh, before the lamb. Each was holding a harp uh, and they had, <laughs> now I can't even read. <laughs> All right. Golden bowls full of incense, which uh, spices and gums for burning, fragrant spices and gums for burning, which are the prayers of God's people, the saints. I love this verse. In the Amplified, it says golden bowls. In some translations, it says golden vials. 
But here's the point. God is storing our prayers. He's keeping every single one of them. And it doesn't matter if that prayer was prayed in 1792 or before that or, or in year two. <laughs> he is holding and keeping every one of those prayers. And why? Because they are so important. These prayers are invitations and they let God do what he wants to do legally. We permit and we allow things to happen in the earth. We are partnering with God, and God needs us as prayers. And we understand that we need him, but guess what? When we start to understand this transfer of authority, we see that he needs us as well. This partnership is something that God put in place, and he never took back. He is continuing to work with people. Sometimes we look and we say, why is it taking so long? Well, maybe sometimes because we're not praying. And one person said, if God's not moving, it's because people are not praying. So we need to be praying. So what if we ask for things like rain and revival and harvest? And what if we ask for things like our city and, and uh, for people to be healed in our church and things like that? Well, God's able to move on those prayers. What if we pray for our grandchildren and and People yet to come. Well, God holds those prayers, and he holds them in heaven. It says that here they are. They're holding those prayers, the prayers of God's people. They come up before him like a sweet aroma, and he stores every single one of them. They are precious to him. Well, go with me over to Matthew 16, 19. When I started to learn this about prayer, I thought, oh, God, thank you. Thank you for showing me this. Thank you. And it inspired me, inspired me to pray, to take up uh, prayer as not an obligation, not a duty, but as a way to connect with God and what he wants to do on the earth, uh, that prayer is really partnership and that prayer is, is powerful. So where did I say? Matthew 16, verse 19. It says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind and declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose and declare lawful on earth must be what is already loosed in heaven. Now here they're asking Jesus, you know, or Jesus is asking them, who do men say that I am? And then they gave him an answer, and then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter came up with the answer that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he's like, that's right. And then he told Peter who he was, and then he told him this nugget, this piece of information, which is so powerful. He says, I will give you keys. What do keys represent? Authority. Keys represent authority. If you have the keys to anything, you're able to get into places, places that are locked, and you're able to get into them and do whatever you desire or need to do, right? He says, I'm going to give you keys of the kingdom or authority of the kingdom. So this transfer of authority has now come right back to us. It went from God to Adam to Satan to Jesus because Jesus grabbed that authority and he rose with it and now he lives on the inside of us and he told us, I am giving you now the authority. 
keys of the kingdom of heaven, and he tells us how to use them. Whatever you bind, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth. And how do we determine what that is? What's improper on earth? Well, he says it must be what is already bound in heaven. If it's not legal in heaven, then it's not legal here. (laughs) He says this is how you use the keys. You're going to bind. Well, how do we bind? We do it with our mouth. We do it with our words. We do it with prayer. He says you're going to bind and uh, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth, and it must be what is already bound in heaven. And then he says this, you're going to loose, declare lawful on earth, and it must be what is already loosed in heaven. So I like that. He says, you're going to use your mouth, you're going to pray, you're going to be connected to my heart, you're going to pray my things that I drop into your heart, and you're going to do it with your mouth, you're going to bind, and you're going to loose, and you're going to do it on earth as a legal resident so that I can come and do those things that I want to do. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that awesome? Isn't it amazing that he gave us that that place of partnership with him? Oh, man. It's powerful. So we permit and we allow by our prayers or by our lack of praying. James 4, 5 says, you do not have because you do not ask or you ask amiss. So if I'm doing bedtime prayers and I'm saying, God bless mommy and God bless daddy and God bless and thank you for the kick drum and thank you for the snare and thank you for the, those aren't bad prayers when I'm a child. Those aren't Those aren't at all because I'm learning to be grateful to God and I'm learning who I am and that I can ask him for things. But if we never grow beyond those, then we're asking amiss. We're not asking for the things that we really need to be asking for. So what are the things? Well, God wants us to pray about nations. He wants us to pray about governments. He wants us to pray about him and his influence getting into places that are dark. He wants us to pray about the world being saved. He wants us to pray about the rain and revival and his presence affecting places so that whole nations and and places are saved in a day. You know that that can happen? And it has happened. And it doesn't take huge groups of people praying. In fact, when I've been looking at revivals and and things that, that people have prayed, oftentimes they're smaller groups of people or churches that grab hold of God's heart. And when they grab hold of his heart, they begin praying what he desires to be prayed. And as they continue and continue, then those prayers go up and they're stored in those golden bowls. And he comes at the right time and he says, I'm able to do this. And the enemy goes, no, you can't. No, you can't come in here. You're not allowed. You don't have authority. I have the lease here. And he goes, nope, nope. I have this invitation. I have an invitation that says, I've been invited. (laughs) That's powerful. I want to read you something that uh, this book, Paul Bilheimer, uh, it's called Destined to Overcome. And uh, he talks about these keys. And he says, checks used by some businesses require the signatures of two individuals to make them valid. One signature is not enough. Both parties must sign. This illustrates God's method of operating through the prayers and the faith of his people. His promises 
his checks signed in his own blood. His part was fully completed at Calvary, but because prayer is an on-the-job training, no promise is made good until a redeemed man enters the throne room of the universe and by prayer and faith writes his name beside God's. Don't you love that? What a good picture. Then, and not until then, are the check's resources released. It is like a safety deposit box in a bank vault. The keeper of the, has a key and the owner has a key, and neither key alone will open the box. But when you give the keeper your key and both keys are inserted, and the, then the door flies open, making available all of the treasures stored in the box. Heaven holds the key by which decisions governing earthly affairs are made, but we hold the key by which these decisions are implemented. See, that's the part that we hold. We hold the key. God can't do things just on a power basis alone because God is truth and justice and righteousness. That's who he is, and that's why he'll never overstep his plan that he put in place. God will answer in the end if he did things on a legal basis, and he'll answer on three levels, in heaven, on earth, and in hell. He'll answer, and God will stand up and he'll say, I did not override, because of my power, I did not override what I put in place. But that's why it looks like things are taking a long time. That's why he needs us on board. That's why prayers are so important in the end days. So the one thing I was just saying is, uh, you know, huge groups of people, does it take that? Well, no. In fact, I've been learning about some different revivals. You know, the Azusa Street Revival never had more than 78 people praying. And look at the impact of that. 78 people started out with smaller numbers even. You know, when Pentecost came to America, uh, it came through Topeka, Kansas. There was a group of people, Bible school students, and they were gathered together in Topeka, Kansas in 1901 on um, New Year's Eve. And this lady, Agnes Oseman, she wanted to have personal Pentecost. They had seen it. They were waiting for it. They wanted it to happen. And she said, lay hands on me that I can receive that baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they did. In that room, they laid hands on her, and she began praying in other tongues. Well, as she began praying in other tongues, 12 other people did too. Well, when the leader of the Bible school came, he opened the doors to find out that these people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was the first recorded instance in all of the United States where they started praying in other tongues. But those people from the Bible school went out into all kinds of places. They went into Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, Tulsa. They went to Azusa Street. They went to all of those places, and they brought that to the world here, to, to the U.S., so it's powerful, and that was a group of 12. That was a group of 12 people that got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Other revivals have uh, similar stories. I just found out about this one group of people called the Moravians, 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 and they had a continuous 24-7 prayer meeting for 100 years <laughs> praying for revival. And that's where some of the, the testimonies in the United States and, and other places came from. So this guy, what was it, Count Zinzendorf in Germany, he was taking refugees into his property 
And as he was taking refugees into his property, they began uh, being really a group of people who were seeking the presence of the Lord. Started with 24 men and 24 women, and those 24 committed to do 24-7 praying. And so as they started that, the group grew to about 300 people, but it never grew more than 300 people. Because as people would come in, they would be moved out. And it was the first missionary movement where they sent missionaries into all the world. And so I thought, well, that is amazing. A hundred years of 24-7 prayer. A hundred years. And we think that it's crazy when we have five days consecutively, right? I mean, and it's not even 24-7. It's like we do 21 days of prayer, and everybody's like, okay, we're over this. <laughs> Man, we've got to get God's heart on some of these things. God's heart. So Matthew 28, 18. Go with me there. One of the stories I was reading about Amy um, Simple McPherson, she came to Denver and had a huge revival and, and uh, the mayor's wife in Denver got healed and then she brought her husband and he got saved and he pronounced that Denver will never be the same again, that the spirit of God had touched Denver. They were bringing people on stretchers and all kinds of things, but that whole thing started with a house full of women that were praying. And she went to that house where the people were praying. And um, anyway, there's pictures of it in one of her books, and I can't remember which one. But even Denver, Colorado, we had a revival in Denver, Colorado. And it went to surrounding areas as well. You know, those things aren't over. Those things are, are happening again, but it's because of faithful prayers that those things really happen. So, okay, Matthew 28, verse 18 it says, Jesus approached and breaking the silence said to them, all authority, all power of rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. <laughs> he completed the cycle, the circle. And it says, go then and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you all the days, perpetually, uniformly, and on every occasion, to do the very, to the very close of the consummation of the age. Amen. So be it. I love that. He says, all authority has been given to me, and what do I do with it? I give it to you. Why did he give it to us? so that God's will could legally happen on the earth. That's why he gave it to us. Because if he wouldn't have returned authority to us, the devil would be doing whatever he wants to do. But right now, we have authority. We have authority. There's something else I was going to read in here. Um, oh, yeah, I love this. There's a couple things. Okay, so he says this. Prayer is the greatest activity anyone can do for God or man. And the least gifted, the least endowed, the least known person in the world, <laughs> by making prayer the main business of their life, may become a greater person in God's book than the most highly endowed, the most brilliant, and the most famous person in all the world. 
the person who prays. Um, there's another place he says, oh, <laughs> I know, sorry. No angel has ever invite, was ever invited to share in the high privilege of prayer. No archangel was ever invited into the throne room of the universe. Only redeemed humanity, and many of us are too busy watching television, following sports, hunting, fishing, bathing, boating, engaging in farming or business or moonlighting. <laughs> we are so busy with the cares and the pleasures of this life trying to keep us, keep up with the trends, new cars, new homes, new appliances, new furniture, that we do not have time to pray. Too little time to pray. Perhaps someone may be thinking, are we to have nothing for all of, all of ourselves? The answer is no. Christ is to be our all in all. Wow, you are not your own. You're bought with a price. See, that's the attitude that so many have. And I know, I, I know it sounds extreme, but there's something about coming back to that place of prayer, coming back to prayer. Ian Bounds said this, he said, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be, the mightier the forces against evil. The prayers of God's saints are the capital stock of heaven by which God carries on his great work upon the earth. God conditions the, the very life and prosperity of his cause on prayer. Wow. So it's powerful. And you know, another book I highly recommend if you are getting interested in, in prayer and learning how to pray is this book, Tongues Beyond the Upper Room. This is such a great book. Brother Hagen lays out every single aspect of praying in other tongues. And you come to the last chapter and he gives a prophetic word after prophetic word. I mean, talking about the end times, we read some of it this morning, but he gives examples. He gives so many examples in here about how he followed God and about how he prayed, about how praying in other tongues. He talks in here about he, uh, when God was preparing him for different things, to step out, preparing him for areas of ministry, how he would spend these seasons in prayer and how he didn't even know at first that that's what God was doing. And yet he lent himself to that. And as he did, then God was really able to move him into new places. So it's really, really a good book too. Um, okay, John sixteen twenty four. I love reading about how they used to do it. And I think some of those things, you know, we just have to come back to. We, <laughs> Carrie was making me laugh the other day because um, she was telling somebody, when my mom makes <laughs> whipped cream, when my mom makes cupcakes and all of this stuff, she just uses a bowl and a whisk. And you know what? I do that a lot because it's like the old-fashioned way, right? We have all these new appliances and technology and all these things that we could use. But how hard is it to just get out the bowl and just do this, right? And so it's almost more work to get out all of the new stuff. And so I end up going back to the old stuff a lot. And so uh, they were laughing, like, your mom makes whipped cream in a bowl with a whisk? And she's like, yeah, well, how long does that take? Well, it takes a little while. But you know what? I think it tastes better because of that. I just think it's better. I think it tastes, it's more fulfilling. It's good. 
So some of the old things are not bad. And sometimes we need to remember and go back to some of the old things. So anyway, John 16, 24. This is where we are. John 16, 24 says, Up to this time, you have not asked a single thing in my name as presenting all that I am. But now ask and keep on asking and you will receive so that your joy, your gladness, your delight may be full and complete. God wants us to have. He wants us to ask. And when he says ask and keep on asking, he means ask and ask and ask. We cannot ask too much of God. In fact, he wants us to keep asking because those prayers are invitations. And this is where the joy of praying comes in. When we see God answering things, when we see him doing what we asked him to do, when we see him, when we hear things and we pray it out, out, not even knowing all of the details and we see it all come together, there is joy in that. There is such joy in that. When we come together as a corporate body and we pray about things that God wants to do in our city and we see it, there's joy in that. When we see it coming to pass, there's such joy. Matthew 7, 7 also says this, ask and keep on asking. So what do we ask for? Well, we ask for his will. How do we know his will? How do I know? If I, if I knew what God wanted me to pray, I would pray. Well, we always know his will because of his word. What does he say in his word? He tells us that, uh, ask of me and I will give you nations as your inheritance. He tells us that in the Psalms. Ask of me. Well, when we ask of him, he'll do things. He says, ask and that I would send forth laborers into the harvest. Those are things that we ask for. Ask for the rain. He tells us that. So we ask for the rain. We ask for what his word tells us, what we know he wants to do. We ask for things that are in his heart. You know, when God reveals to us that uh, so-and-so is sick, is it his heart to heal people? Absolutely. So we ask for that. We ask for things that we know because they're in his word or because of our relationship with him. So ask and keep on asking. Andrew Murray said this. He said, God's giving is inseparably connected to our asking. Only by prayer can that power be brought from heaven, which will enable the church to conquer the world. See, God will win in the end. And as Pastor Mark says so many times, and I really love this, he's not going to come back for a defeated, beat down, broken down church. He's going to come back for a victorious church, a church that's winning, a church that's doing things in the earth, a church that's seeing victories, a church that's provided for, a church that is walking in the anointing, that's seeing people healed. And we're going to be brought up in the midst of our victory. We're going to be brought up in the midst of it. God is doing some things in the earth. And as we read this morning, you know, it's, it's going to surpass the healing revival. It's going to surpass the word of faith revival. It's going to surpass every revival that has come, the charismatic revival. It's going to surpass those. Why? Because it's the end time revival where we'll be uh, experiencing that and then ushered right into glory. So we have a part in that. And that part is precious. 
And when he tells us that he has partnered with us in this way, oh my goodness, I hope it does to your heart what it does to mine. I feel honored and privileged by that. It puts prayer on a whole different level for me. It puts prayer in a place where, um, you know, I see it as, as a joy and as a participation in God's plan. You know, when my heart and his heart are connected, it's like that. You know, did you ever play that game with somebody? How does it go? It goes like this. You grab your fingers and then you do this and then they touch a finger and you're like, which finger was that? Ah, was it that one or that one? And you, you can't even know because everything is so intertwined and, you know, you can't even figure out which one it was. But that's how our hearts need to be with God. So intertwined that we don't even know if it's his will or our will because our will is his will and his will is our will. And we want what he wants, and we love what he loves. And we talk like him, and we walk like him, and we pray like him, and we're just like him. I mean, isn't that awesome? That's what we want. So, praise God. You know, I was talking to somebody recently, uh, just this last week, about uh, some of our friends are retiring. Can you believe it? Like, they're retiring. And I'm like, why would you retire? Like, we're doing the best thing ever. <laughs> Why would you even want to retire? I think we're going to be doing what we're doing until we're 90s or Jesus comes back. Because I can't even think of anything better that I would want to do. I want to see God doing things for all of us. I want to see what we've prayed about. So, last scripture, Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. He says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, who will never hold their peace day or night. You who are his servants and by your prayers put the Lord in remembrance of his promises. Keep not silent and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her a praise on the earth. And this was a specific promise to a specific people with also a promise for us. We are watchmen on the walls. We are people who pray. And he says, put the Lord in remembrance of his promises. Will he do what he said he would do? Oh, he surely will. He will. And so we need to keep that voice coming. Keep it coming. So if you want to get involved in a prayer group, just go on to the app. You can find out all of the prayer groups that are going. Go out to the bulletin board tonight. Take a picture with your phone. All the prayer groups are listed on there. And we're having corporate prayer at 8 a.m. on Monday through Wednesday here in the sanctuary and also at 8 p.m. on Monday night. So there is a lot that we can pray about, and I guarantee you there will be more. But I hope tonight that this encouraged you in prayer. We're doing something in prayer. Prayer isn't throwing it out, a wing and a prayer. You know, if prayer only has one wing, it's not getting very far. So <laughs> that's just not going to work very good. So we're not just throwing prayers out there, hoping that they make it to heaven, hoping that he hears, hoping that things will change. No, we have a solid, firm foundation. We have authority. He has given us authority. And when we understand who we are, then we take that authority. And that's what Jesus said. He said, tell me who I am. And he said, now I'm going to tell you who you are. And now I'm going to tell you what you can do. <laughs> Don't you love that? Amen. All right. Well, stand with me.
And let's just uh, pray and close us out. Father, we just thank you so much for this word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is powerful. You have given us authority. And Lord, we take it. We take it tonight. We take the authority that you have given us. I pray, Father God, that you will inspire us, that you will encourage us, that you will refresh us in that place of prayer. It is a place of refreshing. And I thank you, Lord, if we are feeling weary or worn out in our Christian walk or life, what we need to do is get into prayer. Prayer refreshes, prayer encourages, prayer lifts us. Prayer is so powerful for that. And so I thank you, Father God, just like Smith Wigglesworth said. He said, I can't even tell you what I owe to the edification process of prayer. He said every day he prayed in the spirit and he was edified. He was edified from the depths of his soul out, out to the working of his body. It gave him strength to continue. So I pray, Father God, that we would grab hold of our authority in prayer. We would grab hold of the refreshing that is in prayer. We would grab hold of your heart in prayer. I pray that for us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would step into new places in our personal prayer life and in corporate prayer because you're doing things for the corporate body in corporate prayer. I thank you, Father God. We can be ahead or behind in either one of those, but I pray, Father, that as members of New Creation Church, we would be right on target. We would be spending time in personal prayer and in corporate prayer. I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you for it. Thank you for the responsibility. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the honor that you have honored us with. There isn't an angel in heaven who ever received this same honor that you have given us. And we do count it an honor. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for taking us higher. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 You're welcome.